This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, suddenly the ship is flying backwards. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show where we are putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Captain, I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And we've done it! We did it! This is it! Yes! The end! Final episode. Not yes. the final episode of everything, but the final animated episode. Uh, until Lower Decks. Yeah, that's gonna be... We will be dead before we get to Lower Decks <laughs> at this rate. <laughs> Uh, it's manageable to get there in a few decades, so, you know. <laughs> you know, and, and to, uh, to, uh, to 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 paraphrase uh, the attitude of Marcus Cole from Babylon Five, I plan to live forever. So come on, <laughs> uh, the line went different. Different, you know. Anyway, and it's serious. So as as was the fashion at the time, uh, this is just a normal episode that has nothing to do with anything and does not acknowledge that it is the final episode of a season or series. Yep. Like, this is all you get, guys. Yeah. We're done. That's, that's <laughs> it. So this episode is called The Counter Clock Incident. So are we uh, counter counterizing a clock of some sort? So it sounds like the time that you, like, dropped a clock on the kitchen counter and it broke. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe there was a clock that was trying to, like, play chess with you and you counted all their moves yeah i guess that could be we were you just like watching that what is that queen's gambit chess show now um, all the clocks no, uh, so many clocks is, is that uh is that good that's yeah, fine all right <laughs> i do enjoy chess we should play chess sometime the last time i played chess my cousin beat me in three moves so i'll, I'll have to show you how to avoid that <laughs> This episode is written by Fred Bronson using the pen name John Culver, which none of the web pages that I use to find who wrote things mentions that this is a pen name, but they all just link to the page for Fred Bronson with no explanation, which I found confusing, personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just gonna use a pen name, it's fine. And no explanation later. <laughs> Yeah, none of the none of the pages mention that he wrote under a pen name until like four paragraphs in. Uh, though I think this might be the only time he wrote uh, under that uh, John Culver uh, handle there. So I think so. So maybe it just wasn't relevant to mention, I guess. So he's best known for being a music journalist. Um, wrote several books about number one hit Billboard songs and. Uh, did a whole series interviewing uh, American Idol contestants and things like that. Also, more relevant to what we're doing, he co-wrote two episodes of Next Generation. Ah, yes. Uh, the Game and Menage a Trois. Troy, there we go. There you go. I can pronounce things. <laughs> <laughs> you missed the pun. Yes. <laughs> I just said the thing. Yeah. yeah, The Game, the only episode where... It's slightly believable that Wesley is the hero. And yeah. <laughs> Even though there's sort of a deus ex sort of ending to it, but yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Menage a Troy, which is one of those just fun Troy episodes. Yeah. Uh, with the th that's the Fringy one, right? As I think so. I was having trouble looking it up during the two seconds of research I did, but as far as I remember, I think it's the Fringy one. Yes. 
Yes, I'm seeing some Fringia heads here. So yes, which is one of the best. Like that's one of the best times that that uh, her mother shows up. Yeah, we, we'll we'll talk about that when we get to that. It's, yes, that's a few years off. <laughs> <laughs> and that's again all of the guest stars in this episode are voiced by James Doohan and Nicole Nichols. Mm-hmm. Actually, you wouldn't call it. You don't. You don't get to see Nicole Nichols do a lot, but she is a very good voice actor yeah you wouldn't call either of them doing all of the voices for this show yeah you just like well you suddenly are able to uh, do all sorts of different accents here and uh you know you know sure james Doohan you know has his natural accent but mm. commodore robert april doesn't really sound like scotty at all so yeah meh. i mean i'm sure it's a little easy to disguise when the character that you are playing is using a really fake accent yeah so there's that yes <laughs> though from what i've heard it's actually a pretty good like very specific scottish accent just a slightly unusual one from like people who know scottish accents a little better like it sounds really fake but apparently it's like very specific i think to aberdeen possibly it's just like a weirdly specific accent that most people don't know i'll have to know that you know for the future yeah, I figured that, you know, like England, maybe like the United States, you know, there's, you know, definitely regional accents, but I didn't know to what granularity it was in Scotland. So apparently it's incredibly granular for these accents. Like I remember reading a thing that like, um, oh, I forget his name, but like a, a voice actor who does a lot of audiobooks. like when he does the audiobook for for a British series, he asks what town the character is from because he can do the accent from that town huh it's rather impressive mm-hmm. being a british voice actor seems like it'd be way complicated yes <laughs> uh I, I remember my uh you know back you know years and years ago my sister uh uh was in a uh, the secret garden um and she had to do her best to learn a yorkshire uh accent and i suspect even despite you know you know months of training on that you know is only a best approximation and still she kind of flubbed it occasionally but yes so uh that was sort of my first sort of exposure like oh there's not just one british accent so. <laughs> but of course this episode has nothing to do with accents and we're just stalling for time again yes because <laughs> we do that but this is an episode that stalls for time again for a while so you know <laughs> it really does doesn't it yeah. So, uh, I guess we'll jump in here, because I don't know what to make of this. It's an interesting finale, to say the least. Mm-hmm. The Enterprise, this time, is not doing anything dangerous or particularly exciting. They're just carrying a famous passenger. Cool. This time, we've got Commodore Robert April, who was the first ever captain of the USS Enterprise, and is now the Federation's ambassador at large. Cool. Uh, he's uh, large and at charge. Wait, not quite. Also, this guy this guy predates Pike. Then he does. I I know that whatever at large is a job title that just means they like do whatever. But like, it's I've always found it hilarious my entire life. Whenever it's like our journalist at large, it's like, oh no, they got out. <laughs> they escaped. Catch them. <laughs> Are you? Are are you doing an all points bulletin? What what are you doing, Gong? You know, they're 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 out in the world. They could be doing anything. They could be reporting all sorts of nonsense. <laughs> I guess in the case of Robert April, uh, 
ambassadoring where you shouldn't be? How, what, what would that look like? So they're transporting Robert April because he's reached the mandatory retirement age of 75, which seems a little young, given that people in this time period are living in well into their 150s. Yes. Well, you know, that might be more of a TNG, but I'm guessing it would be sort of a transition between now and then. So probably like maybe 125, maybe? Something like that. I mean, we know that McCoy shows up later, so. Yes. <laughs> About a bazillion years old, probably pushing 200. <laughs> so they are transporting him and his wife to his retirement ceremony. His wife, Sarah April, was the first medical officer on a warp-capable starship, this gives me some more timeline questions, but as we all know, Star Trek never cared about continuity, nor should you. <laughs> Don't worry, she's just secretly uh, flocks, uh, you know, you know transitioned, you know? That wasn't the first warp-capable starship, that was the first warp-five starship. So you're, you're right. So she, she'd been around for a while then, all right. Yeah, the first warp-capable starship would have been years before even Enterprise. <laughs> so uh, I guess she has been 75 for quite some time now <laughs> people make officer really young in starfleet like kirk is the so kirk is captain of the enterprise he has been for at least five years and he's only supposed to be in like his mid-30s yes which means he made captain somewhere around 30 so i guess maybe this is a maybe a product of the uh the universe star trek exists in that for some folks you know they are basically registered away into the cornfield as they say uh, <laughs> uh you know at, at a pretty good clip so if you are minimally competent you become captain at you know ridiculously low ages maybe maybe i'm trying to look something this is this is so unimportant i'm i'm trying to see how old Riker was supposed to be in the first season that's a good question i don't i don't know because he wanted to be the youngest captain in starfleet but like if kirk made captain in his 30s so uh, according to this, uh, it's, it's the series Bible uh, saying that Riker is 30 years old in the first season. Uh, okay, so he's got like half a year to make captain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, if Picard uh, had never re you know, been rescued from the Borg, maybe he could have made it in time. I That's don't know. true. Or if he'd taken one of those dozen captain positions that they kept offering him during the first yes. season to build drama. <laughs> yes. That would have made sense. <laughs> the time his dad showed up and they did blindfolded judo or whatever it was supposed to be. But we're going to get to that pretty soon, actually. That was that was early. <laughs> yes. So anyway, Sarah April was the first medical officer on a starship and thus invented on the fly most of the medical equipment still used today. So in short, these are the two most competent humans in the galaxy. Yes, because not only have they avoided the, the, red, the red shirt death uh, problem, uh, to be, you know, you know, a decently uh, uh, elderly, uh, you know, a couple here, but uh, they also have done all the things. So Sarah also has with her a alien flower that only lives for a few hours and blooms in the course of a day and then dies, and this is going to become metaphorically important later on. Yes, it's not clear as far as the context of the episode why she has it, but it looks pretty. So. Also, they say it's very beautiful. Also, by the by, we're passing something else beautiful. The Beta Noble Nova, which is a supernova wing star. Cool. Uh, are we, uh, we, we, we probably should uh, avoid uh, the outgassing of that uh, just to be safe, though. They seem to be ridiculously far away. 
Yeah. <laughs> based on the next scene. They are ridiculously far away from this thing, which is probably good. <laughs> so as they admire the uh, Nova, they detect a ship approaching at excess of warp 30. Uh, is this a, uh, a spaceship crewed by, uh, you know, space salamanders? Because <laughs> that's the only explanation. Even, <laughs> even in next gen, they're doing warp 13 by the time they get to the final episode. So, like, the whole <laughs> thing with warp t- the warp 10 barrier that they just randomly made up for Voyager is equally hilarious. Yes. <laughs> but this is just weird. Because, like, I know that they didn't have any of this codified. And this is all just made up speculation. But according to the technical manuals that I was a dweeb and read when I was a teenager, warp drive numbering is an exponential numbering system. Yes. So, you know, warp 2 is twice as fast as warp 1, and warp 3 is more is like exponentially faster than warp 2. So, by the time you're getting to warp 30, it's craziness uh, as far as um, you know, what levels you're of, of losses you're dealing with here. You know, you should be able to get across the galaxy in a minute. So, <laughs> which I guess they can do in this time period. They're always gallivanting all the way across the galaxy. Yes. <laughs> Also, they feel the need to point out that no natural object can travel this fast. And since no natural object can travel faster than the speed of light, which is all of warp drive, I don't see why this is relevant. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So we're just in triple impossibility uh, domains here. So I guess uh, just shrug and move on. Yeah. Is it one of those weird theoretical faster than light particles that would do nothing if it hits you? Yeah, <laughs> it's double tacky on time. <laughs> anyway, this thing's on a collision course with the Enterprise, but they are able to move out of the way at the last minute because it seems that the ship was just on a collision course with them by accident because they were in the way of it heading straight towards the center of the supernova. Oh, so uh, this this unknown spaceship apparently doesn't have sensors. Okay, good. Yeah, they attach a tractor beam to the ship in an attempt to prevent it from destroying itself in the fiery heart of an exploding star. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna be doing something good here, guys. So let's go save some lives. The pilot hails them, but the woman is speaking a language they don't understand and they can't communicate. Or is she? Because as anyone who's ever heard it before knows, and Uhura finds out pretty quickly, it's not another language; it's their own language, but backward. Surprise! Yeah, playing the message backwards. She says she's on a priority mission. And they need to let her go so she can, you know, not die. All right. Um, so uh, let's let her go then, because she might know what's up more than they do. Also, she's apparently able to, you know, has crazy fast warp drive here that is beyond anything you've understood. So maybe she is more knowledgeable on things that you're unaware of, Kirk and K- crew, maybe? No. 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 Well, whoops. <laughs> yeah. Kirk doesn't listen, but the ship's not doing great because the tractor beam is dragging them along at speeds that the ship was never meant to reach. So uh, that sounds dangerous. I uh, hope mm-hmm. I deflect the shields uh, hold up. So finally, Kirk is forced to disengage the beam before it becomes too dangerous and they get dragged to the Nova themselves, except it's stuck now. Okay. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense either, but, you know, we're... We're kind of on a trend here, so let's let's keep making stuff up as we go along. Mm-hmm. Sulu keeps trying to t- 
turn it off, but they decide that the only way that they're going to be able to do this is to prepare to very, very quickly break away as soon as the other ship is destroyed by the Nova, which will give them a few seconds to break the ship entirely before they too are dragged in via momentum. Uh, let's hope this works, otherwise we're, we're all going to be dead here. They get to the Nova and the other ship is in fact not destroyed. Huh, so maybe she did know what she was talking about. Instead of them all dying horribly, they find themselves flying backward in a white void filled with black stars. Okay, this is a little confusing. Um, mm -hmm. McCoy, did you did you pump your drugs out into everyone's uh, into the, everyone's air again? Maybe. I mean, that would be a much better explanation. <laughs> also, the flower that Sarah had, uh, which was nearly dead, is blooming again, and soon reverts to being a seed. That's ominous. They are basically all getting younger. The chronometer is running backward. Time is moving in the opposite direction. Hmm. So we got some time wonkiness here. Huh. So, um, is it a, a transdimensional alien being that's causing us to rewind here, or what? It's the opposite day universe. Ah. Which works on, like, bizarro world rules. Kinda. <laughs> Cause and effect still happen in the same order. It just, the processes happen backwards on a smaller scale, I guess? But in specific ways. Yeah. Like, the ship is still flying, it's just flying backward. They, they of, don't really go into whether it's using power or regaining power. This is just a charge parity time uh, conservation issue. Uh, it, yeah, probably. So, the one from <laughs> the other ship hails them and they can all understand her now because their brains are working in backward time. So apparently her being in our universe meant that she was operating backwards to us still, but us being in their universe means we sync up properly. So that yeah. seems to be applying some things other than things are just backwards in general, mm -hmm. but there's like some fundamental process that is different between the two universes that just sort of looks like it's making this effect. Seems like. Yes. So this woman's name is Carla Five, because they have numbers instead of last names, because that's edgy and cool and alien, I guess. <laughs> In the future, everyone will have numbers. Just looking at seven of nine. So she's an explorer. She explores space. But on patrol, a dead star nearby went nova and ignited and turned into a real star, because that's how things work here. They go the other way. Well, that's kind of cool and confusing, um, but isn't that just basic star formation where you have uh, a massive object that has uh, you know ingassing of, of uh, material that uh, then uh, you know comes to life when uh, the star attains uh, you know minimal fusionable uh, mass or, or am I missing something here I don't think you're missing anything no okay <laughs> so but instead of being drawn into the star's explosion and dying she instead found herself in our universe and theorized that Two stars just happened to be in the same place at the same time going Nova in both universes, and it created a sort of portal that can get in between. Fascinating. Hmm. Wait a moment. I'm, I'm having flashbacks to another uh, Voyager episode where they use a, a supernova to breach the dimensional barriers. Yeah, I guess this just happens. Yes. <laughs> so this is what she was doing when the Enterprise tried to save her. Uh, unfortunately, the star is no longer Nova, so they can't go back the same way. So I guess we're stuck here forever, or until we age backwards, I guess. They decide that they're going to head to Carla's homeworld uh, in order to find another pair of stars that are coincidentally going Nova in both universes. They say a couple times, like, that would be a giant coincidence. 
Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah. there seems to be some some parallels between our universe and this one, but not everything. So Yeah, not all. It's weird. Yeah. It's selective. So they beam down to her son's lab, who's an old man. And they find her dad there, who's a baby, because it's opposite day. Yes. Um, I'm getting some uh, some Ozzy and Melee vibes here. I don't know if you've ever read that webcomic, but uh, there's a, a portal in the, the one, one of the characters' couches that leads to a, a, a universe with pirates, and they age backwards like this. Yeah. Seems likely. <laughs> so they pull up. What has got to be the jankiest looking map of the Milky Way I have ever seen. Yes, I don't think it's quite accurate. They overlay it on a map of the Milky Way from this universe, the opposite Milky Way, which is still spiraling the same direction. I feel that's a mixed opportunity. You could have done some some, some really crazy stuff here as I guess. We need to make sure that things are aligned properly so that we uh, actually have a, you know, a good vibe of what's going on here because, you know, we... We only have one reference point here. How do we solve this problem? We could spend like five minutes you know, trying to figure out a solution here. And that would add more to the episode other than, you know, minutes on end of tension that is just tension. <laughs> yeah. So they decide, I, I guess, for some reason, that the planet they're on, the human planet, is in the same place as Earth. Because um, reasons, I, d- yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. And then they match up where the Novas are because they know those are in the same place. And that lets them match up everything. They find all the stars that match up, and one of the pairs does happen to be a paired nova. The ha. Well, it's not quite a paired nova. It's a dead star that in this universe is going to maybe at some point become an active star, but it's not quite there. Yeah, so they need to go do a thing. And they kind of do, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's basically unimportant. It didn't affect the plot in any way, and I kind of forgot about it. Yes. <laughs> Well, they didn't really feel like they had to care about it, so you don't have to either. So It's also going to take them a minute to get there. Uh, so the backward aging thing may actually become an issue. Um, but uh, weirdly enough, the, the, the backward aging thing is only now becoming an issue at all for the crew. Yeah, it seems to take some time to ramp up, and now it's massively accelerating. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I guess there's so, the, the, the backwards running clock on the Enterprise is now speeding up, I guess. So Carla gives them their ship to tow them into the Nova because their ship can't reach the necessary speeds to do it safely. Just because. They approach the star, but now the time slowing has like exponentially happened and they're all becoming children. And also apparently they lose their abilities as they backward yeah. age. Yeah, it is kind of funny hearing uh, Kirk kind of do this voice cracking. So first Sulu gets too young to remember how to fly the ship. Then Uhura can't remember how to work the communicator. Spock uh, suggests that he should take command since Vulcans age much slower than humans do. But the Commodore points out that he is now the ranking officer and it is his prime. Yes. Because he was the oldest person on board. So, uh, well, except for, you know, Sarah April because she's like 300, but you know. She's also in her prime, but... We, we don't care. We don't need a medical officer at this point. Uh, this is not a, a medical issue, despite everyone now turning into babies. So Commodore April takes command of the ship. He and Spock are able to safely start the Nova and get the ship through, and now they're on the other side. But the crew are all children. Well, this is awkward. Uh, I guess we have to wait years on end for them to grow up again. Or we could use the transporter to space magic at them. Uh, yeah, because transporters can do that. Because yeah. apparently... Your physical form is 
preserved forever in the transporter buffer, I guess? Yep. And Sarah April goes, hey, do we have to do that? Like, we're kind of in our 30s again. We have no particular downside to just taking this and getting to live an extra 40 to 50 years. Yes. But he goes, no, I liked our life and I don't want to relive it. But you're not. So, and so they do it anyway. I guess <laughs> I guess there's a nice considered there's like trying to do a nice message of like being old isn't horrible and like you get experience and if you lived your life well you don't need to regret that you're aging but they don't actually seem to set it up like it it's you 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 aren't re you aren't replacing your old life you still have the memories apparently and you can now do more like you basically just got 30 years healthier so um just going to abandon that Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, I guess to a certain extent, though, the, there was some memory loss because Commodore started thinking he was captain uh, at one point. So maybe he realizes, oh, maybe I have now forgotten things that were important to me. And maybe yeah. it would be nice to get those back. But we don't maybe. really kind of. It seems like there's some well. selective memory loss. Yes. <laughs> like Kirk remembers he's a, a captain even when he's like, you know, getting to this teen years there. Mm -hmm. uh, but is not really kind of certain what to do about that. <laughs> so they all revert back to their old ages, and given the circumstances, though, the Federation has reconsidered making him retire, so that's nice. He gets to still do his job. Hooray! Because, uh, you know, if you still want to be uh, doing stuff, go for it, you know? Yeah. Why not? You seem fine. Oh, you know, uh, just because you got some gray hair doesn't mean you're... Uh, you are without self-worth, sir. Then there we go. Counterclock incident. <laughs> uh, so overall, I'd say this one was okay. Yeah, not bad. Like, uh, I guess I did like a review that I saw and said, this premise works better than it has any right to. Kind of. Because <laughs> I, I did mention that there's sort of minutes on end of sort of uh, building tension. And to a certain degree... They got a little bit much, but still, what they were, you know, they, they were doing it the best they could, uh, you know, for what, you know, the medium is here as far as being the animated series. Um, and then, you know, once again, it runs into, okay, now you have this good tension stuff here, uh, perhaps too much of it still, but anyway. Um, but now you kind of run low on the amount of episode left in order to sort of solve things, but given what they have going on and the various components, they still managed to make it work. It's not that bad, but they spend a lot of time doing nothing like they always do. They don't really seem to like want to do anything with it other than having this like kind of wrap-up at the end that's like, de-aging isn't actually as great as you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of just there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't really go into a lot of the... It's, it's Bizarro Universe for the sake of doing Bizarro Universe. Because, like, oh my god, it's weird that her son is older than her and her dad is younger than her. Yeah, that does kind of beg some curious questions, Yeah, though. don't don't think about it. Yeah, so... Um, Try really a, hard not to think about it. Is this a weird Benjamin Button situation or what? I'd, yeah. I'd, yeah. Yeah. None of it makes any sense. Like, some of the cause and effect thing goes forward, some goes backward, some doesn't work out. It's 
yeah, it's all a bit jumbled. Yeah, so uh, it's a a concept that I guess was p- tossed together, but maybe not fully thought through, which happens often enough, especially in early Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to. It really does seem to. So I, I guess that might explain why uh, Fred didn't uh, write for a few years after this. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that plus being John Culp at the same time. Um, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is still, I guess, they gave it a try. But, like, overall, I don't... Overall, I didn't hate it. Uh, there's just not a lot here. There's the one message, like we said. There's the one message mm-hmm. where the the old people decided that de-aging wasn't for them and but they don't really go into like see like the the messaging was bad you had to make it up which makes more sense if you did lose all of your memories and experiences and knowledge that you gained over the last you know 40 to 50 years then yeah that makes sense that you're saying the the like slow deterioration of my body is worth it like that's a that's a fine trade-off for me. I find the knowledge and experience that I gained through my lifetime more valuable. Yeah. But he didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. So it's the 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 better message is implied but not well said. Yeah, he said if you didn't regret your life, it's fine. So if you did regret your life, if you've lived a life that you regretted, then by all means DH. Yeah, <laughs> but you know he's uh, got Commodore Robert April, he capital badass supreme, and, uh, and so uh, you, know, you know I'm gonna keep keep doing awesome things now. Yep, I'm gonna remember the awesome things I did, so I remember how to do awesome things. We, <laughs> I do think it's just quite fun how this screws up everything afterward timeline wise, just completely. They did not care. Yep. <laughs> Now, there's a, a lot of stuff that just kind of has weird implications here, but I guess this episode might be one of the contributing things to why the animated series was generally considered non-canon for the longest time, uh, because it just kind of doesn't fit with a lot of stuff that's established in other Star Trek. Um, but, you know, it's overall not, not terrible. Uh, it's just sort of there. It's, once again, as I said, you know, continuity is kind of can take a, bi- a big backseat to uh, a position here. If you know the the purpose of the uh, you know what you're you know being uh, presenting is not being a continuity hound here. You know, you know there are series out there where continuity is everything, um, but uh, you know as far as this is concerned, don't worry about it. What I think is so interesting when you get into these kind of continuity and lore discussions, which like I have as much fun with that as anybody. Yeah. It's fun to like piece all the pieces together and figure out what's supposed to be going on. But it's so interesting that people like like this was written first. This wouldn't actually be a continuity issue if they hadn't contradicted it in following series. Yep. <laughs> so uh this was established first, so if you're going to be continuity hounding uh this uh you know, establishes some of your rules and what's allowed. And Warp 33 is A-OK, folks. Yeah, so really the problem here is that the people who wrote the movies and Next Generation didn't pay attention to the timeline that was already established. Yes. People get so mad 
that like the modern ones are doing that the like star trek discovery is retconning some stuff and not sticking to the established whatever mm-hmm. but like they they've already abandoned it they abandoned continuity and lore years ago yep. <laughs> next gen doesn't doesn't care what happened in original series or the animated series or even most of the movies yes sometimes not even in tng <laughs> yeah so why are we put, putting so much time and energy into this? Like, it's it's a fun thing to do, but you shouldn't be attached to it. Yes. I, I guess as someone who's also a big fan of Doctor Who and some of its continuity snarls there, uh, there is a certain amount of, all right, so, you know, in this universe, this is kind of how things work, and so don't worry about it. And yeah. how things work is... Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, they could have they could have explained this at any point, even in Star Trek, the same way they do with Doctor Who. Because Doctor Who's whole thing is like, yeah, everything in time is always in flux always, so it doesn't matter. It's a time travel show. Yes. <laughs> but, like, the amount of time travel that they do in Star Trek, <laughs> any of this could have changed at any point, just massively. Yes. Uh, and uh, I guess one of the things, uh, it also opens up uh, some room for fan speculation as, sp- as opposed to just fan uh, condemnation, uh, where it's like, okay, so they are saying that this is true at this point, but this is impossible at this point. So maybe what, they, what the basic definitions that are involved have changed in between these two points that, you know, not that the, yeah, the physics is different in the universe, but how they measure its difference. Um, so if there is a warp 10 barrier for sure in Voyager, maybe warp 10 means something different than, than it does back at the classic series. Uh, so maybe that some point it's like, wait, this is a, you know, you know, you know, TOS era, you know, you know warp, you know, uh, one, two, three, four, and five and things like that are all about, this sort of uh, uh, factor, you know, strain on the warp coils, but maybe in TNG era, uh, it's like, you know, there's, you know, we, we figured out a specific uh, mathematical whatever's to you know, trace things here. And so for the first number of warps, things match the old scale pretty, pretty well. But after this point, you know, things diverge wildly or something like that. Uh, and that's okay. And Star Trek doesn't have to explain all that because, it's a show about things that happen in episodes as opposed to filling in all these little plot details and fan uh, speculation. That's a perfectly okay spot to sort of, you know, you know, uh, you know, fill in the potholes as it were. And those people that care about it will care about it and think about it. And everyone else doesn't have to worry about it. So, you know, have fun, I guess. (laughs) That's always been a bit of the fun thing. I'm sure that it's kind of fun for the, uh, people who write these things like they don't have to worry about continuity someone else will figure it out one of the fan people on the internet will figure out how it fits into the timeline you don't have to worry about this yes (laughs) uh heck i've speculated myself on it's you know star trek and uh, other series as uh, myself uh a number of times trying to like wait a moment you know about stuff here and i try to always keep it in good fun so I guess don't take it too seriously and relax, folks. 
So I feel like I have spoken on the only two things that they even comment on in this episode, and continuity is only because it messes up all the future continuity. Do we have any physics things? I feel like this might be a physics-heavy episode. Uh, to a degree, yes. Uh, so I've mentioned charge parity in time stuff, uh, uh, symmetry before. Uh, the And I mentioned it again uh, this episode. Uh, the, so the, the short of the long is that if you switch uh, your, the charge of a particle, uh, you rearrange things so it's mirrored over in, the, you know, in, you know, in physical space and reverse time, you can basically have the same things happen and look exactly like they do in our universe with all those various you know, bits you know, going the way they are here you know, and, you know, and then have look exactly the same with everything flipped like that. Is this the uh, right hand, left hand thing? Uh, uh, yeah, chirality is, is more the uh, left hand, right hand sort of thing, but it's, it okay. is related. Um, now, parity uh, is you take in physical space any arbitrary plane and you mirror everything over it. Uh, so you you know get that backward galaxy uh, uh, you know sort of a you know effect there, um, and so you get. Uh, a, and so having all these sort of things, you know, link that if you do flip one, uh, then you are automatically going to uh, cause a flip of another, uh, you know, makes a lot of physics work and predictable. Uh, and but there is some speculation that CPT symmetry isn't a thing and that you could potentially have situations or uh, contingencies where that's not the case, uh, which has all sorts of crazy implications, uh, specifically about uh, Lorentz uh, 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 violations. Now, now, what is a Lorentz violation, Gepwin? It's when you touch Lorentz in a way that he does not like. Okay, so I was going to go for a different definition, but I think that technically works. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I'm speaking of specifically is uh, that the there's a... Lorentz basically, uh, you know, uh, symmetry uh, is that physical uh, quantities that we see in our universe uh, are able to be transformed in various you know, location, time, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and everything still basically works out. Uh, and so, you know, you might have things with you know, general relativity is causing stuff, but given you know this you know, sort of uh, you know look uh, locally, space still looks flat. At a very, 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 very small level, no matter what larger scale uh, bending of space time you have, things still work out as far as you know the, the core physics going on here. Uh, and so, this is a, a very much a you know, if you look at a, a small enough scale, everything should operate the same way. And if charge parity and time violation is a thing that. Yeah, that local uh, invariance of how physics works is also not going to be holding up here. So that will mean all sorts of crazy stuff becomes possible. For instance, the speed of light might not necessarily be a fixed value anymore, which could be a little disconcerting since that's how a lot of physics works. <laughs> uh, and so you, and you could also have things where, uh, you know, the maximum speed a massive particle can go is different than the speed of light as well. Uh, and so you have all these sort of, you know, various bits uh, in extreme cases start suddenly 
diverging as far as what should equal another thing. And so suddenly, well, we got massive particles that are now going faster than the speed of light, but the speed of light is still a constant. How does that work? And that starts to have other consequences as far as, you know, fallout in physics goes. Uh, and so you get sort of a cascade of possible things that are, that are we believe to be impossible in the current sort of a view of uh, uh, physics now suddenly become possible. You could also have situations where, uh, say, you know, circularly polarized light. So you basically got a, you know, you know light as part of its wave structure has a, you know, an amplitude that, at, you know, it, you know, that, you know, is, Try not to have too much science jargon here. Where <laughs> so basically the wibbly bit uh, sort of is pointed in one direction. Now this point in direction can also rotate around the axis of the of direction. So you it it looks instead of going up and down as far as way you know normal way stuff. If you only look at the cross section, uh, it sort of looks the same. But if you look at the whole wave, it's actually changing the direction of that amplitude so it goes around in a circle. Now, you could potentially have, have uh, a situation if there is Lorentz violation and thus CPT violation that that rotation uh, is different depending on which way it's rotating. So you could have one uh, light, uh, you know, a, a beam that's circularly polarized in the left direction and another one going the right direction go through the same space and they end up behaving differently despite all, you know, you know, you know input being the same other than that direction. Uh, and so you can get, and so you, that's maybe a potential way to detect this sort of thing is to actually look at this uh, circular polarization and some weird you know, uh, physical uh, you know, uh, you know, cases here. So far, we've not found anything that's you know, for sure si uh, sign that the uh, Lorentz violation is a thing. Um, however, I think in this episode's you know, backwards universe thing, that, that might be a place to look. <laughs> <laughs> So possibly it's not just about being a backward time universe. It's got slightly different physics rules. I, I'd have to guess so, yes. <laughs> uh, so it's basically a universe where everything's kind of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you can maintain some stuff where it's still having normal cause and effect yes. and other stuff <laughs> not. So, uh, you know, th things are all sorts of wonky there. So, um, so don't worry about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> now back to real physics sort of stuff. Uh, there has been a number of things that look like they might be uh, either Lorentz violations or CPT uh, violations, uh, but for the most part, they've been solved. Uh, I think the only one that's uh, uh, left open that I could find information about uh, involves uh, you know, neutrinos and antineutrinos and things like that, uh, and it's sort of a marginal case where it's like, yeah, we need to look into this more. Also, it's been a decade and we've not found more information. So, eh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, 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 so not any real good grounding on this sort of stuff as far as, you know, this violation goes, at least in our universe. So, you know, so no backward time travel anytime soon. Uh, not easily <laughs> or faster than light travel. Now I have looked, uh, I, you know, like 15 years ago, I did read a number of, uh, papers and things like that on this specific subject uh, looking at uh, another sort of Lorentz violation uh, possibility that matter and antimatter have different masses uh, because in that case, that also implies 
CPT violation because if you're flipping the charge of electron and suddenly its mass is different, that's going to also cause things not to look exactly the same if you do all the you know the other flips there. Because uh, you know, as I said at the beginning of this uh, you know bit here, uh, that if you you know have all those flips there, you could you should have the outcome look exactly the same as it does in our current you know you know for whatever physical process you're observing. Uh, and so if suddenly the mass is different, then things are definitely going to look differently. <laughs> Uh, so that's definitely a, a very solid sort of uh, variance there. And uh, the thing I was looking at specifically was, you know, in early universe, uh, having a difference between matter and antimatter mass could be very much be important because there was a lot more antimatter to go around because it hadn't all been annihilated with a whole bunch of matter yet. Um, so, so that's a thing. Uh, and so that could cause potential weirdness in like the cosmic microwave background and things like that. Or well, that's background as well. Yes. <laughs> so I basically don't know as much about physics as everyone thinks. <laughs> There's a bunch of random possibilities that could change everything we think we understand about how everything works. Kind of, but uh, I guess, thankfully, there's also been a, a good number of measurements that say things do work exactly as we expect them to. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but in physics, uh, they're you know looking for those gaps, those holes in what we understand and verifying that everything that we understand works out in all cases is kind of part of the process that knowing for certain 100% is not really something you do, but a, we're pretty sure this is how it works is sort of the best you can get most of the time. So uh, the physics department at universities is like, Hey, have you broken the universe yet? No, not yet. I'll keep trying. <laughs> We're going to keep trying, guys, here. Uh, we'll let you know if we can come up with anything. Uh, don't expect anything, re you know, in the near term, though. Just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, breaking the universe is something physicists kind of uh, look into. And, you know, if we were able to definitively find a Lorentz uh, violation sort of uh, situation, you know, that wasn't just a quirk of physics we didn't understand properly uh which happens sometimes uh where it's like oh this looks like this but it's like, oh there was something wrong with the detector or there's this effect we didn't account for or the earth spins so we forgot to count you know include that small uh, correction into our calculations stuff like that pops up all the time um but if there was for sure something that came that had no other explanation than there's physics going on here that we do not understand and have no experience with before that that becomes a big thing because that's how you know new fields of science sort of get uh, you know started. Is all right, we got something that doesn't make sense. Let's look into it. Let's see where this goes. And then you know, a few years later, it's like, oh, so antimatter is a thing. We should maybe think about that. <laughs> <laughs> then one day you do find the backward time universe. <laughs> Just gotta get uh, you know a warp thirty something uh, spaceship to go into. Uh, a supernova, then we'll be fine. So, in other words, we need to get faster than light travel and travel to a supernova, guys. <laughs> but, you know, getting that faster than light travel might require some other Lorentz violations or stuff. Anyway. <laughs> it does kind of just remind me of, um, oh, what was it? The Time for the, uh, Time for the Stars by Heinlein. The whole book is about how they discovered that certain sets of identical twins can communicate telepathically and instantaneously, and they use them for communication to interstellar spaceships. Huh. 
And then the culmination of the book is they basically make a spaceship that teleports out to get them. And like, well, as soon as the physicists figured out that you all were communicating instantaneously, that let them figure out that stuff can happen instantaneously. And now we have teleportation. Good job. Yep. <laughs> Your existence has opened up new doors. Excellent. <laughs> so that was just fun. That was a fun little, though that was still one of those ones where they had to have someone trained in math because they couldn't bring a computer on board because it'd be too heavy. <laughs> Old school science fiction. Mm-hmm. It's easier for Highland to imagine telepathic identical twins than a small computer. Yes. <laughs> though we didn't get depressing. That's good. If people are tired of math, I think we could move on to the galaxy's favorite game show! Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Hope you're looking all beautiful tonight, because uh, we're all uh, becoming younger today, apparently. Um, we got several prizes to hand out because our various contestants are racking up various uh, scores here. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the physical challenge got really weird because everyone got turned into babies. So so some of them might still be lost in the ball pit. Anyway, our first prize is the Whoops Prize, which goes out to the Enterprise for getting tethered to the Carlos V ship, getting pulled into a reverse time dimension. What does it win, Gepwin? The Enterprise wins a harpoon gun, because just imagine how much better that scene would have been if instead of just sitting there hitting the button going, it won't disengage, they had to put on a spacesuit and like go outside and physically try to cut the rope while they're being dragged toward a supernova. Well, we'll uh, kind of get something like that in Enterprise, but uh, once again, that's going to be a while's off. Our uh, second prize is the Transporters or Magic Prize, which goes to the Aprils for basically... Declaring this so they can sort out the crew and, you know, lay another foundation for a future TNG episode. What do they win, Gepwin? They win a staff of healing. It's just easier. Just take your magic staff and point it at whatever's broken. Don't have to go through the transporter. It's inconvenient, and sometimes it works and doesn't. Just use magic. You don't have to explain magic. Just wave your wand, and there you go. Our third and final prize uh, today is the Unfair Ticking Clock Prize, which goes to that whole other universe as instead of aging backwards normally like one might expect, given what we see at first, suddenly de-aging increases exponentially for seemingly no reason. What does it win, Gapwin? They win an actual, like, like, clock with hands, which also no one can read anymore, which I find interesting. I still have trouble with it, honestly. But, like... You have one of those in one of these, like, universes where time doesn't seem to move normally. And as everyone knows from comedy writing, if you have the clock with hands, you can just turn it forward or backward and fix all your problems that way. Yeah. So you just... You can't uh, do that with a digital chronometer. It doesn't work. Well, you need to, uh, you know, get in the back and, like, turn the little dial. It's not nearly as impressive and, you know, fiddly things. And we don't got the animation budget for that anyway. Hmm. So anyway, uh, that's our prizes today. The contestants were all fairly good today. Uh, and uh, that Robert April guy looks like he's going to kick my ass here, but uh, uh, that's, he's getting more beefy by the second. Gap. What's going on? Uh, take us away, please. <laughs> yes, thank you all for joining us as you age backward and spend an extra hour in the ball pit. <laughs> thank you for putting up with the nonsense that we've been doing this season on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show.
Okay, that was it. It's yeah. all done with the animated series. Except we're gonna have to do a season wrap up because we do that. We do a series yes. wrap up, so we're, we're gonna have to like actually talk about what we thought of this entire thing as a unit. R uh, wrap it up and uh, bring it together, and it's like, all right, did did we are we more enriched for the process? Probably not. Well, uh, maybe we could go hang out in a science enrichment center. <laughs> yeah, do you, is your life better than it was twenty two episodes ago? <laughs> Maybe. We'll have to find out. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be next time. So next time we have our wrap-up series. Then after that, we're getting into some new stuff. So bear with us. We have an interesting block of stuff coming up. If you didn't like the animated show, but but we're done now. So Yes, yeah. so uh, we, can, we can move on to the next phase of science fiction. Yep. That's, that's not British at the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's, not uh, British. <laughs> yeah, we could do a whole other series called Watches of Tomorrow uh, that just covers only Doctor Who, and we'd finish Star Trek first. Okay. <laughs> Watches of Tomorrow. That was Swedish. What was I doing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I was trying to do a British accent, and it turned into something weird. Well, maybe you were trying to emulate the Dane law. Uh, you know, uh, you know, medieval, uh, you know, Vikings taking part of uh, modern day England and. I don't know where I'm going with this. Yeah, neither did I, apparently. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, next <Hey>. week, uh, <laughs> series wrap up. Then we get into some the next next phase of of Star Trek sci-fi history stuff. So, look forward to that, and we'll see you next time. Excellent. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, how was the illusion of movement in the end? have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>